Welcome to Talking Roadmaps, the channel where we talk about everything roadmaps, exploring the craft of roadmapping. Please, if you're interested, do like, subscribe, and follow the channel, maybe some shares. We'd love it if you commented down below if there's anything interesting you hear. Today, I'm joined by Tim, Tim Herbig. Tim, please introduce yourself. Hi, Phil. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. So my name is Tim. Uh, coming from you, uh, from Germany today, which, which is where I live and where, where I started my product career back in 2010. Uh, lots of interesting bits on this journey from large-scale corporate publishing uh, to working professional networking as well. A couple of very, very interesting startup experiences as well, as well to say the least, with all the usual ups and downs and self-conviction versus real user insights and um, some B2B mixed into that as well, just to make sure that things don't get too, too, too stale, too boring. And uh, since 2019, I'm full-time uh, coach consultant working with product teams pretty much across the globe, uh, helping them to find their own path toward this mythical word of focusing on outcomes that we all love to talk about in our industry, um, predominantly doing that through things like product discovery, OKRs, product strategy, and of course, something like roadmaps that sort of seems to be the glue for tying some of these bits together one way or the other. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, funny enough, I've... I think I've, uh, I'm, I'm on your adaptable product discovery course. I've got a, I'm, uh, I am subscribed there and kind of uh, going through it slowly. I, I subscribe to too many courses myself, but I'm always <laughs> trying to learn or trying to go to that growth mindset, I think is a key thing for any product person. Um, so we'll sure. make sure we get a link to that down below as well when we uh, put this yeah. out. Good idea. Great. So, well, let's, uh, let's get to the nub of it. Let's get to the heart of it. In your opinion, what is the purpose of a roadmap? What is the purpose of a roadmap? So I'm trying to not blame too much on the usual it depends response. Uh, I would say that for most product teams, um, the purpose of the product roadmap should be to communicate priorities and mostly internally. So I would say communicating typically more tactical priorities, more strategic outlooks for an internal audience. And of course, there are different other formats and, and artifacts out there that you could use to do the same thing. But that's where I would say, if I would have to sum it up in, in, in one sentence, that's how I would do it. Interesting. And so, funny enough, so you said mostly internally, the next thing I would like to ask is who's the audience? So, yeah, I guess maybe you can unpack that a little more. Yeah, for sure. So, as I said, so mostly internal, I was saying that because there is this case out there that some companies work with those public roadmaps, right? Which are um, well, typically very feature-centric, which is a, a topic we'll probably get into, into later on. Uh, but this is some kind of external roadmap you could use as well. I would argue that rarely do these roadmaps get used one-to-one -one internally in the same way, the same format. Um, and so I would argue that the, the main audience for any kind of product roadmap is probably uh, your own team members, right? Because not everybody might not be always on the very same page of what might be the outlook, the next priorities, because everybody's focused on, on, on their craft. Uh, it's certainly a vehicle to align yourself with other teams uh, or to, to be aligned with other teams if you're doing something like a portfolio level roadmap to make sure like where different teams are working on within a given portfolio area. Um, but also, of course, to, to communicate to non-product stakeholders within the organization, look, like people like the sales team, marketing or customer service, like, hey, here's how we're addressing some of those issues you brought up, some of the problems we're seeing, here's where we'd like to go and communicate that. And of course, last but not least, executive leadership level to make sure that they get a sort of like 
very condensed and oversimplified version of, hey, here's what we're going to be working on and probably also mixing in how we're going to measure success and how we're going to achieve that. Perfect. And so that when you say your, your team, we're talking about a cross-functional product team right. there, I presume, yeah? Yeah, so, I would, uh, yeah. so that you, whatever your typical product team is, right? I think that it's good that you bring that up for clarification because still a lot of companies think that I'm talking about the product management department when I say product team. And so, yeah, I'm actually referring to the product team and whatever that includes, right? Whether it's the traditional trifold of product UX engineering, um, I would like to argue that most companies should think of the cross-functional team as whatever skills are required to create value as autonomous as uh, most autonomous way. There are some organizations that might include marketing on the team, that might include data science, analytics, uh, whatever you need. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite to make sure is in there is operations, for example, and testing. Exactly. Because often testing are represented by the dev team and they're uh, yeah, a good in one. my mind. That is a good one. You could probably uh, you could probably get the internet started on this one. Of like, do you have a dedicated QA testing person on the team or not? I always really valued that to have that person on the team because they were really like a, such a great enhancer of, of, of engineering quality, right? It's almost like the... Uh, not to do not to, not to downplay anything almost like the the technical sidekick of a product manager to order when it comes to figuring out are we building the thing right yeah to the ultimate end yeah i mean we've got the are we building the right thing and are we building it right and the, the two have exactly. to together obviously yeah exactly so who owns it then who owns this <laughs> i think it might be easier to answer to, to answer the question of who doesn't own it um yeah. I think it also depends on what, what do you mean by, like, what, what does owning mean, right? So I would say, I think there should be this, to me, like, ownership would mean, like, who's the, the core group of people who have to stand in for the choices being made and articulate through the roadmap, right? So ultimately, I would say, who owns those prioritization decisions and the roadmap is just like a visualization communication vehicle for said prioritizations. Um, I think it really indeed does depend on how you have, um, spread or distributed responsibilities within your product team. I would say the typical product trio of uh, engineering lead, lead UX, product manager might be a good starting point to have those continued roadmap discussions. Uh, of course, there might be certain, let's say, domain knowledge between the three of them who probably has an idea of like, oh, I know about this strategic business priority coming up. I know about this company-wide refactoring coming up. I know about the need to introduce new de design system, which might be in the heads of one of those three people. I think this might be a good starting point uh, of people standing in for the collaborative decisions and actions by a team. So um, owning them, yeah, having ownership in the hands of individuals from each domain of expertise within the product team might be the very diplomatic answer. Do, do they all co-maintain as well then? Um, I would argue that very often you probably will see the product manager being the one maintaining it as the person like working with the artifact most often. It's probably what you will see. Uh, just as like the one of the other um, domains might work with a specific uh, artifact or topic more often than the others, even though it's a shared conversation, right? So even though the whole team talks about a ticket, might be engineering who does the majority of work and detailed descriptions, whatever or documentation within the ticket. So I would argue probably product management role, the product management role uh, is the one maintaining it. Uh, at least that, that's what I've seen most often. And of course, you could argue that 
if you have this portfolio level perspective, you might, then might have the head of product slash VP of product maintaining the portfolio level roadmap with inputs from the individual contributors or the whole product teams. Sure. Yeah, that makes good sense. And yeah, I guess, yeah, because there, there is that subtle difference of kind of who's owning what it represents and who actually puts it together. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's similar to when you think of like OKRs, right? Like you would make the, the whole team should be involved in the OKR definition process. And of course, you would want to have this conversation within the team every week, every two weeks of like, hey, where are we going? Like, do we have to course correct? But there typically is only only one or two people who are actually filling in the OKR check-in, right? Like writing the actual thing and potentially submitting it to somebody who wants to review it. So I think there's this differentiation between collaborative discussion and the technical, tactical delivery, so to speak, of the artifact. Sure. Yeah, it makes good sense. And funny enough, I was about to ask you about relation to other artifacts <laughs> like OKRs or vision or strategy or objectives. So yeah, maybe maybe unpack that a bit more for me. How does the roadmap look? Okay, how, how, how much time do we have? No. <laughs> um, so the way I see it, I think I've, I've seen plenty of talk out there that people would have to choose between OKRs and product roadmaps. So these are like conflicting artifacts. I think that certainly is not the case. Um, and of course, they, again, this comes with a big it depends, right? For example, if you work with OKRs that are very output driven, meaning the key results are pretty much a slightly summarized product backlog, then the question might be worth asking, well, if the OKRs list which feature we're going to build this cycle, what is the additional purpose of a roadmap? Which is fair, right? Yeah. I think it becomes more interesting if we truly embrace this concept of having the OKRs being more outcome oriented and you know, try to stay away from the best practice outcome OKR. I'm trying, like, don't try to get too caught up by the, by the best practice or by the book definition, but let's say more outcome oriented, right? Because that's the journey most teams are on or want to be on. Um, if you work with these, I think the biggest obstacle you might hit is that when you talk to non-product stakeholders or even like team product team members who just look at the outcome metric, but then ask themselves, but well, but what are we going to do to get there? Right? Yeah. So you still need to have that expression of what are we going to do, whether it's a feature or an experiment or an activity to move closer to that outcome. And you don't want to squeeze that into the OKR itself, right? So you don't want to have, uh, don't want to spread it out even further, have like key result activity in one list. So I think that's where the roadmap can come in really beautifully because then you're coming from things like you have the qualitative intent through your objective. You have some of the key results that would tell you implicitly which problem you're trying to solve, aka which outcome to drive. And these two could already form one roadmap item. And then you could list as an addition, at least in the for the near term, like let's say next three, four, six, 12 weeks cycle, even articulate, well, here are some of those current ideas we're going to pursue to drive this key result to contribute to this qualitative intent, whether again, whether it's experimental feature or something like that. And I think that might be good for the, the short-term perspective as in the current cycle, the next couple of weeks looking ahead. And of course, this will change, right? You might not be able to say, these are all the features or activities we're going to do throughout the cycle to drive the key result. Uh, some of these might not work out. So what might be the, the, the best guesses, the most educated guesses at the beginning of a certain cycle? I think where it gets really interesting is if you adopt a roadmap format and just to borrow from this very common now next later format, if you look at columns like the, 
the the next or the later format, then it gets really interesting because you don't want to be you can't be as descriptive as you can be for the for the for the immediate future because you don't know the OKRs for the following cycles yet, ideally, because that would be quite quite descriptive. But what I've seen work quite well for, for some product teams, and honestly, you could argue that this is kind of a band-aid for gap in the product strategy, but to work with uh, annual OKRs to say like, okay, maybe we are not as clear as we want to be in articulating the product strategy, but we can articulate some the key high-level metrics and how they should be um, evolving at the end of the year. So you could work with an annual OKR, and this annual OKR might give you some input for the next column at least of your roadmap and give you an idea of like, okay, which other metrics, which other intentions do we potentially pursue as well? And then I guess the later column is really about those very fluffy, high high level pieces that might also contribute to your vision being even longer out. Yeah, interesting. And uh, the now, next and later format of roadmap being something that Jana Bastow is famous to, uh, uh, to have uh, created and she's a, a previous guest. So uh and definitely one yeah. that resonates with me. I, I made that transition in terms of roadmaps in my last organization. Often find you know there's that perception that's gonna be hard to make that shift. And actually I find generally exactly. it's not because people realize that it's a more honest way of communicating <laughs> the direction instead of just moving everyone right. to the right constantly. It is I think yeah, I think that's the I love that that I think I don't know who wrote that. It might have been Andrea Sayers who wrote this idea that there's this term of the Kanban roadmap out there, uh, which sometimes seems to be referring to the now next later roadmap. And I think the what I love about her take, and which really just makes a lot of sense, is like Kanban is about moving things from one column to the other as fast as possible with a certain work in progress limit. Whereas the now next later roadmap, it's not about moving everything from the later column as fast as possible to the now column, right? Which would get you in the sort of this, this feature hamster wheel. And so I love this anti-pattern of like not treating the column-based roadmap as something where everything will move as fast as possible from one column to the other. It's not a given that yeah. it will be done. In fact, it's the now next later is almost the a use of the three horizons concept. And often in the three horizons yeah. concept, you're already working on the things in the later to in order exactly. to pay off long term. It might be high level discovery activity and so on yeah. going on. You just exactly. don't know if it's how it's gonna land or where it's gonna land. <laughs> so it's like I mean it basically supports the whole dual track agile mentality at least you know yeah. like there are things in the here and now quite literally we have to deliver on we know how to measure there are things where we just know that these are mid to long term strategic intentions right it's not even fair to call these a bat or specific metrics like that's the direction we want to explore we have some idea of what to do to explore this problem space but whether it would ever result in anything like being delivered in the current quarter or it would ever lead to, to, to current quarter OKR, left to be seen. Now, I wonder, are there any other artifacts that you think kind of link in or relate to a roadmap? Well, I think that uh, I think you mentioned a couple of these, right? So I believe like product strategy might be an incredibly important um, artifact because, again, this hopefully articulates what of the what's which specific choices you're trying to make in the future, whether it's about expansion to a certain market, expanding to new user segments, trying to prioritize share of wallet with existing customers or getting new customers. All of these choices should influence your roadmap uh, and should make sure that, that you those specifically those next and later bits um, are a little bit a uh, little bit clearer and don't just say revenue on them. I think the other bit you mentioned, like product vision, right? It's, again, extremely important, even though you might find it difficult to link individual roadmap items directly to the vision because the vision is like supposed to be that far out. 
Um, and of course, I think the, the, the third bit being, of course, previous discovery and previous delivery activities, because all of these should feed back into the next priorities you're working on. So, for example, if you're discovering something in the, to continue using this concept in the, the next column, like you're discovering something, trying to figure out does the problem exist, which then might lead to, well, maybe it doesn't exist. So we're going to abandon this roadmap item, not going to transition it into the, to the now column. Or just as you, you are about to deliver things in the current cycle and figure out, well, we, we can't move the needle. So it might be worth putting this roadmap item back into discovery mode uh, or, or to, to another uh, time horizon or discarding it completely. So it's a really, it's about like mostly all the buzzwords you can name, like all of these to a certain extent influence what you should be putting on your roadmap and whatnot and how these things might look like. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's think about maybe the design of a road, about the visualization, because you mm. mentioned visual a little bit. What do you, in your sort of perspective, think are the key elements of a roadmap? What content? So, um, yeah, and I have that discussion with quite a lot of organizations because I think it, it has to be tied into how, how an organization currently works as well to, certain, to make sure that certain artifacts that are non-negotiable will continue to be used, I think should be put on the roadmap item if it helps uh, helps them with the community with the communication right because if you remember the roadmap is about uh, it's supposed to be um, at least from my understanding uh, a communication art vehicle basically for priorities and so the question is how are how are priorities expressed in your organization right so if you work with something like OKRs I think it makes a lot of sense to um, and not just if you work with OKRs but it makes things easier but like one ingredient should be the, let's say, the more qualitative intention of what you want to achieve. Not about the specific outcome, the specific metric yet, but just like, hey, we want to, I mean, it could be things like differentiate through delightfulness or something like that. Something super fluffy, but which at least like gives you certain high level categories to put things into buckets. Almost like a product goal, a little bit like you have a sprint goal, or it could be a roadmap goal, maybe. Right, like a road, right, like a roadmap goal. I think getting uh, probably the, the time horizon might be key, right? Like how far ahead do you want to look and how fluffy is it okay to be? I think at this level, I think it's fine to be very fluffy. Uh, one thing that I love to add to roadmap items, um, because simply it helps so many organizations to, to, to shift the way they work, is to have the problem they're trying to solve quite explicitly on the roadmap item. Because I found that if you just write the outcome, people have a hard time not defaulting to the solution already, right? This constant struggle between outcomes and outputs. And being like using clear and simple English and language saying, which problem are you solving for whom? That's a like a almost like a like like an obstacle for some people to fill in a new roadmap item, right? Because they're like, well, I actually don't know. And it's like cool. Uh, let's put this into the next column then and not something we want to try to deliver on in this current cycle. So having people explicitly express the problem they're trying to solve. And again, depending on the team, this might not always be your traditional B2C end user. This might be an internal team. This might be your own way of working. This might be a buyer persona supporting segment, whatever it is. Um, then I love getting people explicit about how would how would the, the, the success state of the solved problem look like from a metrics perspective, which could be like a key result or whatever kind of metric system you're using. So like, how do you know, when would you know that you have um, solved the problem in the form of a metric essentially? And then again, uh, adding things like the features or experiments you're, you're pursuing next, trying to drive this key result, aka to solve the problem. And I heard you say something really subtle there. You said it once briefly, and who would you solving it for as well, which I think Exactly. It's a really key part of that because that problem might exist for 10 customers and 
choosing one, exactly. you're going to deliver a particular solution, not, not necessarily to all of them. Which yeah, which ties in perfectly with product strategy, right? Because I think strategy is about making these high-level choices, right? And if product teams are always only talking about solving problems for everyone or just talking to random strangers or using built-in rec user recruiting panels or user testing tools, which is my, 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 my nightmare, quite frankly, <laughs> if you just use pre-built panels without knowing the context of them, it's like, well, it's the same as like going out to the streets and asking random strangers. And honestly, if you're building something super generic, like a dating app, this might work, right? But as long, as soon as you're getting any kind of more specific, leave alone B2B, this feedback from the street is pretty much worthless. If this is not an overlap with your target audience and yeah. this explicit expression of who are we solving for? Yeah, love that. And as a an interesting uh, boundary for people to articulate where they're going. Yeah, and, and I also love that that kind of statement of yours that if you don't know it, then we can't work on it now. It's like, if we can't <laughs> articulate what the problem is and who it's for, then yeah. of course we can't work on it because we've got to figure that out. <laughs> That's a fundamental. Exactly. It's quite, I observe a similar situation when people aren't the goal definition processes and they land on a really good metric they could use as a goal. But then they, they, they realize, oh, we can't measure that goal yet technically, right? So we don't, have, we don't have the measures in place to measure the goal. And then one of two things happens. Either they abandon this great goal and go back to an evergreen generic KPI because that's easy to track. Or they set a new goal, which is about create measurability for this very important goal. And I love to push teams to the second option, right? To make creating measurability a priority and an actual thing also for your roadmap potentially, right? Because then your objective or your qualitative statement shifts from something like, we delight accountants in Asia by, I don't know, integrations, whatever might be a shitty statement, toward we understand how to measure success for accountants in Asia. I was like, this would be the, the actual, the actual um, prerequisite for working on meaningful metrics. I love it. So, I mean, we've talked about maybe some of the things that go in there. What about visualizing it? Do you have any... Uh preferred ways of visualizing or styling for roadmaps? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I love simplicity. So I love the very plain now next later format with like a roadmap card with like some color coded labels potentially. Again, I think it depends on how many aggregation levels you're having or sometimes I'm working with product portfolio within a company which consists of eight product teams. And I would probably introduce like swim lanes, to be quite honest, to make sure that you're not trying to squeeze in competing priorities from eight teams into one column. So I think as soon as you're trying to cover two, two or more teams, I would love to work with swim lanes to make sure that every team has their own priority articulated. Um, other than that, I have more role than visualization styles. I think I haven't seen, I probably haven't seen enough. Uh, Funnily enough, it's probably another few months down the line, we're going to be throwing that question out to the world saying, show me your roadmaps because you know, there's so many I've seen, there's so many of my collaborators just in a scene, there's so many of the, uh, the uh, people we're interviewing have seen, but um, we want to try yeah. and build that library almost. It's interesting, specifically with like product management tools being on the rise for quite a while, I guess you will find a lot of like very similar looking roadmaps because almost every product management tool has an underlying philosophy, right? Like from the founders or the product people like that goes into how they approach things like ProdPad and Jana Bustle being the most prominent example, which clearly the way ProdPad handles roadmaps is informed by Jana's perspective on roadmaps, rightfully so. 
And I think you'll see that throughout some other roadmap product, product management tools as well. I definitely, you certainly see it with Brian De Haff and AHA as well. Um, my yeah, exactly. collaborator is an XAHA team guy, member, so kind mm. of we, we see we see the different styles quite a lot. <laughs> and in fact, so you hinted at a couple of tools. I dare to ask, do you have a preferred tool? I don't have one. Uh, I love to I love to throw Jana's name out simply for the reason that honestly, it's been a while since I used Prop but just for the like what she has done for the industry in terms of like shifting the perspective on roadmap. So I love to give kudos to her and consequently to Propad. I honestly try to stay away from the tool discussion as much as possible because I feel that it's a bit of a, what's the right word? I think it's this, honestly, I'm not sure how much, the pure roadmap feature, I'm not sure how much differentiation is in there. I think where the tools shine is everything they build around the roadmap. So like how holistic is the understanding of the tool of what goes into a roadmap. I think that might be the differentiator. Um, honestly, honestly, I, I love using, getting started with something like Mural or Miro, something very freeform and like without a lot of structure just to figure out the general sentiment. It's similar with like two OKRs. We would say like get started with Google Sheets or Excel, get a sense for it. And then once things get more complicated or want to commit to it even further, or you found your groove, like choose a tool that suits your needs. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I agree wholeheartedly. I, uh, I was close to sorting a tool in the last corporate role. I am a part of mm. Prodpad these days. Uh, it was a different tool I was going to source. Yeah. But I uh, tried to right. stay agnostic because it's all contextual. It depends on that organization's exactly. setup. So, yeah, I, I, I feel your position and uh, understand it well. <laughs> And it's always interesting because like many companies want that specific recommendation for the tool, right? I think it's, I think again, it's so difficult. It's like whatever tool, I think you can tell a lot about how well the tool might fit for a company, but just looking at the landing page because articulate, they articulate their stand, like what's their perspective on product. I think this is almost to me more important than the actual feature bucket list. There are certain hard facts I would look at. I would look at things like the integrations, which is super important to make sure that the tool can play nicely together with existing tools you're using within the organization to ease the adoption of the tool and the regular usage. Um, other than that, I think it's more about the attitude and like a certain baseline quality execution. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now let's get on to, so let's think, switch gears again a little bit. <clears throat> what do you consider to be best practice in terms of roadmap? <laughs> I just I was just coming over conversation. So uh, I love to, I love to avoid the term best practice, to be honest, because I think it uh, it paints a picture of it's this or nothing. Uh, of course, this is like depends on the people interpreting it. Uh, I try to be a little bit more, again, like you could argue diplomatic, or I would say realistic, which is like more like better practices, yeah. right? So it's like, depending on the context you are in, what could be a teeny tiny bit that would help you to make things a little bit better already without getting intimidated by the over-glorified uh, profit by the book example. Um, so yeah, I think some of some of the better practices, which could be stacked or like tackled individually, is I think switching from the traditional long-term Gantt chart to a column-based and more loosely time uh, time more loosely defined time horizon. I think it's a great thing. Um, making sure you can connect your roadmap to the other artifacts you use in your company for prioritization, like OKRs, or if you use any kind of scoring, like make sure that these things go hand in hand together. So don't try to create a parallel universe, but connect it to the other um, bits and pieces that go on. Because yeah. again, those decisions, those prioritization decisions are already happening. The roadmap is more like the 
the, the window you're creating to communicate it more easily for other people. Um, regularly updated sounds obvious, but isn't right. Uh, I think there's, there does have to be a fixed cadence for when you adopt it and you might not want to rearrange it every week, but like make it part of those like goals, strategic discussions you're probably having at least once or twice a quarter might be a good idea. Um, I think I would, yeah. And then having like bringing the clarity around the problem and the measurement of success in there as well, right? So don't go straight from broad qualitative statement directly to feature or activity, but make sure you have this middle layer of problem worth solving and potential success indicators in there as well to make sure that you're not spinning your wheels to like, oh, we, we moved the item, we ticked off the boxes, we built the feature. So we are successful, yeah. right? Which is, of course, the, the broader discussion. Uh, and I think probably the last one, just inspired by the last bit of our conversation, like not over-tooling, okay. right? So don't like try to over-tool it, if that's a word, I don't know. Um, works for me. So early, yeah, it works, right? It's like, don't over-tool your roadmap approach. That's a nice headline. Um, this should be something to consider. Again, this doesn't go against roadmap tools per se, but like against the idea of starting with a tool and modeling your roadmap approach after the tool. I think it should be the other way around. Yeah, love it. So let's flip the other right way around. What's the biggest mistake you see on roadmaps? The biggest mistake? Uh, yeah, I think like leading, just like leading with the feature and um, and treating, leading with the feature and treating time horizons on a roadmap as it has to be done by then, right? I think most of the time I would rather embrace uh, like a best effort approach for the teams, like whether it's in the discovery or the, or the delivery space doesn't really matter. But like there's a, there has to be an intent to deliver as many or best possible features to create a certain, drive a certain metric forward or to reduce uncertainty as much as possible. I think this should be the, the goal within the, the roadmap and be a little bit more flexible when it comes to when is a roadmap item really done? Is it like only if the really the last spec of a feature has been delivered to the pixel? Or is it like if you're close enough to the metric you try to move and like it's fine to to, to shift, to switch gears and to no longer focus on it? Um, I think another anti-pattern might be to completely neglect the idea of more the need for potentially more specific timelines having to be articulated for very teeny tiny delivery, right? I think uh, I think I don't know if it was Cito Lombardo or Jana who I heard it from. The idea that there might be the need for like a more tactical release plan with specific dates to accompany something like a clearly articulated roadmap, and that these two things can be two different artifacts is probably still mind blowing to many many companies. Um, so. Even the lovely, more loosely defined time horizons, I think it's important, specifically in large organizations, to acknowledge the need for more specific date-oriented statements around when something will exactly be released to coordinate things like go-to-market initiatives or customer yeah. service. I mean, and that sometimes comes up <clears throat> at that discussion point of other related artifacts. And yeah, I, 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 you kind of that separation. I think um, um, John Cutler also talked about we need to understand the jobs to be done at the roadmap. Um, which kind yeah, of is trying to say the same true. thing. We're trying to do many things with one tool and actually maybe yeah. a few separate ones would make it work better. Exactly. And I think that's an interesting balance to strike, like making sure that you're focused on the jobs to be done of the tool you're using and like not uh, trying to combine too many things into one tool then becomes a, like a big, like a roadmap item becomes a two-pager almost. 
But at the same time, not, I would argue not making it too granular and have too many atomic artifacts floating around where it's then very difficult to piece things together and how things are related to each other. Whose advice do you listen to about road mapping? Tana Basto, um, without much hesitation. Cito Lombardo as well, um, predominantly for his work on the uh, Roadmap to Relaunch book, which is a staple of my, my bookshelf, even if you can't see it right now. Obviously, his co-authors yeah. um, as well. And honestly... Uh, I love listening to practitioners within organizations who own the craft of establishing processes that work, right? So uh, that would be people in the product ops space, for example. Lots of companies I work with have really mature, very well-established product ops organizations who spend a lot of time thinking about exactly this kind of question of like, how do I make roadmaps a useful tool by... And, and how can roadmaps become a useful tool that support this change, this larger shift from outputs to outcomes? Um, so yeah, those would be some of the people I would love to turn to. And again, like people in the product ops space, because they have to figure out like, how do I make this craft that ties in with other efforts and becomes actually useful without just, just introducing the framework for the sake of it. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's an interesting uh, kind of growing area is that product ops. I mean, I look back to the last team I ran and realized I was doing it without calling you to, there was one member of my team was clearly exactly. doing that activity. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and now have a label to put onto it that what he was doing. Exactly. Which is good for our industry in a certain way, at least, because uh, I think it, it helps create this explicit awareness right, for this need of this role. And you can, you can now put a, put a job, uh, a job position, a position out and hire for this role and get budget for this role without making it an additional responsibility for people. But of course, we should be careful to not like overload it and like make sure that it stays practical. Yeah. And so you've mentioned some names. Are there any particular resources beyond the, the Roadmap Relaunch book that you also uh, use or recommend? That's a good one. It's actually, it's my go-to. There is this, honestly, the, the one resource I go back to, which is related to, to the book, is from the Mind the Product talk from C. Todd Lombardo. I think it must have been at Mind the Product San Francisco 2018, 2017, 2018. You gave a really good talk summarizing the, the so honestly, I think it's the, still the best. Talk. I don't agree with everything, but it's the best talk summarizing some of the key bits and concepts. And it's a it's a well it's a nice storyline, right? So, which is I think what makes it so good for communicating it to executives and sending it over because it's easy to digest even for people not being in the trenches. I might have to go back and look for that. I I probably have watched it at some <laughs> point, but there's so many things I can yeah, choose. For so, sure, uh, for sure. Yeah, but yeah. I always like to. That's really, really good. Out again. Yeah, other than that, I don't have, I wouldn't say I have my go to resource. Like, it's the things like ProdPad blog. Um, obviously, like, without turning this into like a pay, like an unpaid ProdPad promotion. But also, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned Andres Sayers, uh, who is a former product marketing manager from ProdPad, uh, who's, uh, who I think, I think is also really, really spot on in that, in that space. Now, the hard question. <laughs> if you had to distill your philosophy on road mapping into one or two sentences, could you and what would it be? Oof. What would it be? Um, I think my key philosophy would be to find a roadmap format that supports the organizational change you, change you seek to create, uh, whatever that is and work with explicit prompting questions to help people fill it right sounds completely wrong but i think you get the idea without telling people oh this is this this is an outcome roadmap we now put outcomes and roadmap item that's like 
that leaves too much interpretation. So I think create this explicit understanding of what do you want to, what kind of change in thinking you want to create through the roadmap and design the, the roadmap accordingly, whether it's through guiding questions, templates, fill in the blanks, whatever it is, or tools. Um, yeah. Cool. So then I'm going to ask you the, the, the classic, I forget who, who it comes from. It might be a Steve Blank or something like that. What should I have asked you about roadmapping <laughs> that I haven't? What's the, uh, the the roadmap item I'm most ashamed of ever being ever putting on a roadmap? Would probably be a fun question. What's your answer then? <laughs> I have to admit, I'm not sure if I actually put it on a roadmap, but uh, it's certainly something that I it would have been on an artifact like a roadmap level, which was a startup I was working on, which was trying to disrupt the dog sitting industry, and we're building a mobile app doing that with none of us owning a dog, even. <laughs> but we're very opinionated investors. Um, and so one, one project we, we committed to was we had a map with little pins of points of interest on there. And we made it a priority to add a drop shadow to those pins on the map so they're easier to spot. <laughs> ah, the inner yeah. designer coming out of Tim there. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, honestly, this was more of a semi-forced effort of like, hey, our, our investor being like, honestly, like 60 plus uh, non-digital native are saying, it's difficult for me to find the pins on the map. We should make these more visible. And we're like, okay, yeah. let's add a shadow to it. Tim, it's been great having a chat with you today. Um, last, I guess, Likewise. last few seconds. Uh, here's an opportunity to give a pitch for, for your offering so that people, if they find you through this, can uh, get in touch and uh, get your help. I like to pride myself in talking more about better practices. And so I think that's what informs most of my content. So if you're interested in better practices that help you improve from wherever you are on your journey as a product team, make sure to check out my newsletter, go to my website, herbic.co, and I try to distill uh, fun the thoughts like shared in the last couple of minutes with, uh, with Phil. Uh, and this newsletter every week goes out, except for the upcoming summer break. So yeah, would love to welcome some people there. Uh, to get some perspective on my thinking. Well, we'll make sure the link to, to your site is, is uh, visible and available for people here. So uh, awesome. I say, Tim, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great talking, um, great to reconnect. As for the whole world, I'd just like to say, please remember to like, subscribe, and share all those useful things that help the channel get found. Um, you'll obviously see some shares on LinkedIn and stuff like that as well. If you'd like to take part, if you'd like to do what Tim's just done, please do reach out, get in touch. Uh, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have a conversation. Thank you again, Tim. And uh, see you next time. Thanks so much Thanks. for having me.